When it comes to fighting financial fraud, banking institutions have been making strides in new technology investments, education, and training. But how are emerging technologies and services, such as mobile payments, expected to impact banks and credit unions in the near future? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. And during this second half of a two-part interview with Doug Johnson, who serves as Vice President of Risk Management Policy for the American Bankers Association, Johnson moves beyond the topics of FFIEC conformance and ongoing risk assessments, which he discusses in Part 1, to focus more directly on future risks, highlighting what he's hearing about mobile payments and the .bank DNS initiative. What about the state of mobile banking and mobile payments security? What services are institutions offering and how are they ensuring security? I think that payments is going to be interesting. In the near future, there's going to be increasing pressure for institutions to ensure that they are properly involved in the payment space as it relates to mobile or otherwise. You know, banks have always been central to the payment system. Even if we weren't, you know, central to it from the standpoint of the consumer, we would still be the backbone of that system because behind every payment is, you know, some level of a bank account if it's not a loaded card. And so the financial institution will always have a central role of some sort within payments, and we desire to, to continue that. And so you know, I think the state of, of security is such that banks have a tendency to be what I would call fast followers as opposed to early adopters. And I think that's wise because you can have some level of experimentation, and I think that you know, to the extent that we learn from that experience before we go, you know, willy-nilly, that's an important component. But I think also other providers of payment services have learned that the most effective payment services are those that have financial services as partners. And financial services are the ones that are going to be building and more mindful about the payment security as part of that component. So I think to the extent that payment processes are built and financial institutions are central to them, the security will be actually baked in the cake. How you ensure it is to continue to uh, adapt to it. And I think that goes back to the risk assessment. Beyond phishing and malware, of course, what other fraud threats are top of mind among the institutions that you work with? Well, I think with some of the uh, larger financial institutions, uh, particularly, it's related to both fraud threats and cybersecurity generally, because there's a lot of, of legislative dust in the air, shall we say, associated with cybersecurity proposed legislation, and a lot of discussion about you know, what portions of the financial services sector should be identified as critical to the financial services infrastructure and portions of payments obviously are very much among those. And so I think that's top of mind to a lot of large financial institutions is how as government attempts to build that infrastructure, it relates to our existing infrastructure. What role does Department of Homeland Security have in terms of protecting the critical infrastructure in concert with our standard financial services uh, regulatory agencies, which we're accustomed to dealing with and that know our industry. So how do we have that relationship go forward in a productive fashion? Now, from the community bank standpoint, I think that it's really back to the knitting to some degree because in some cases it's conventional check fraud and the electronification of checks and the speed with which checks are going through the system based upon that electronification that creates some potential fraud and potential losses, you know, for those institutions, you know, as we essentially go towards same-day clearing. That kind of environment from a community bank standpoint is, is something they really have their eye on because at the end of the day, particularly for the community bank, check fraud losses, and that would include losses which where a check becomes electronic, are still sometimes two to three times greater than what losses might be uh, incurred at the financial institution from a more conventional electronic fraud. 
Now, I also wanted to ask about the domain naming initiative that we've been talking about quite a bit in the industry. What can you tell us about the .bank domain naming initiative, and do you see it helping to curb online fraud? Tracy, I do. As you know, the American Bankers Association, in concert with the Financial Services Roundtable, filed an application for the .bank top-level domain, and you know, we're hopeful that we do get approved for to operate that domain on the industry's behalf. Uh, one of the things which we developed as part of that process was a set of, of 31 security standards, which uh, we recommended to ICANN, who is essentially the approver of um, applications. We also recommended that any other financial domain contain those standards. One standard that's within that, a particular set of recommendations, is higher levels of authentication at the domain level. And so baked in a bank domain is going to be a, a much more difficult ability for fraudsters to fish, saying that they are within the .bank domain, because not not only do we have higher levels of security, we control who can operate a dot .bank as opposed to essentially anybody who can operate a dot .com. So I think to the extent that a bank customer receives a communication from an institution or goes to a site which has a dot .bank domain associated with it, that they can have a higher, a much higher level of expectation that this is not a fraudulent site. And so I think that can lend toward a higher degree of confidence and security in the overall environment. One thing I'd like to ask on that note, of course, relates to the FBI's takedown of some of these fraudulent sites that were selling credit card information. And I'm, I'm wondering if perhaps the .bank domain naming system might have helped in some of those cases. Exactly. And to the extent that you've got an environment where a customer is either duped because they believe that's their bank site or determines not to use the service because they're unsure as to whether or not it's the bank site, to the extent that it will be difficult to spoof a dot bank site, there can be that higher level of confidence. That doesn't mean that there aren't a tremendous number of other externalities outside of dot bank that are still going to be a challenge for the domain space generally. But I think that to the extent that we narrow and build a community of financial institutions operating in dot bank that have higher levels of security, that, that that can to some degree counteract what you just discussed. And then, Doug, before we close, I wanted to ask what the ABA is doing to help financial institutions fight fraud, and what other risk management issues do you see as being top concerns? In terms of, of what ABA's core business is, I think that our ability to really serve the entire industry is extremely important. We have working groups and discussion groups and committees of large financial institutions as well as small institutions, community-based institutions, and in some cases both in, in the same committees. And I think it's through that active conversation of what the big banks are seeing as it relates to fraud that ultimately would end up in the community bank as well because it might show up in, in the large financial institution first. I think one of the core things that ABA does that I'm very proud of is, is really provides the mechanism for that sharing. And I think that that's particularly true of, of our area here at ABA, the risk management policy area, where we're responsible for really making sure that that you know, information chain exists and that the community banks are aware of the threats that others are seeing. And so that's central. And of course, partnering with organizations like the FSISAC and being very supportive of ensuring that financial institutions have the ability to directly link to the ISAC and get that threat information, I think is, is another core piece of, of what we do as well. I think that also to the extent that we see um, new threats such as 
uh, the corporate account takeover. Now, that's not new, but I think is an example of something which we've been, you know, once we saw it starting to occur, we started to build tools in concert with the ISAC in terms of giving both the customer as well as the bank, you know, the kind of resources to help them protect themselves and give them some recommendations in terms of what's effective and what's not effective and ask institutions themselves what they found is effective. I think, you know, providing that mechanism to do that and then pushing out the information so the entire community can work and benefit from it, I think, is, is really core to what we do. There are always new risks. And in terms of what risk management issues are of top concerns, and one of the things that I found very interesting is we were discussing a survey of that group that was talking about enterprise risk management. And um, this group is comprised of a, a wide cross-section of community banks from about a half a billion, maybe less than half a billion, to about uh, six billion. And there was a hesitancy among institutions to, to say that they had an enterprise risk management program in place. But if you talk to them about it, they actually, to some degree, did. But there was some lack of, of really looking across the enterprise from the standpoint of, of how are the key risk indicators related to that institution, how are they devised? Are they consistently devised? How are they presented to the board? Are they reported to the board? And so I think that one of the things that uh, all institutions struggle with is, is that whole process. How do we build an organization that on an enterprise-wide basis understands what the key risks are and um, has great measurement of those risks, whether or not they be uh, risks in the electronic environment or otherwise. And so my advice is to, you know, no matter what size your institution is, is to, to really take that temperature of what key risk issues are across the entire institution and have some mechanism to, to report those on an enterprise basis. You don't have to call it enterprise risk management, but you can essentially do the same thing regardless of what size institution uh, you are. And, and that's the conclusion really that the group came to yesterday uh, was having that conversation. And I wonder, Doug, why would they be hesitant to call it enterprise-wide? Well, it's the E word, okay? Mm -hmm. I think that some institutions, when they think of ERM, they think big bank, and they think there's certain things that come with that that are very big bank-centric. And so I think it's it's mostly just semantics, frankly. I think that any size institution can build a culture to really have uh, that kind of enterprise risk management approach, regardless of what you call it. Doug, I want to thank you again for your time today. Good to talk to you, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Doug Johnson of the ABA. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.